Well, good to see you all here this evening. I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We've been there the last three weeks as we draw this series, this mini-series, Fasting for Feasting, to a close so that we can enter in into the season of Lent. More on that in just a minute. But join me in Matthew chapter 6. Tonight we are talking about fasting. Yay, fasting. (laughs) Let's hear what Jesus has to say about this classic spiritual discipline. He says in verse 16, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. That's the equivalent to say, wash your hair, wash your face, spray some cologne, look good, don't look toe up from the flow up like the Pharisees and hypocrites. Adam's translation. Let's continue back to Jesus' words in the New International Version translation. Verse 18, do all that so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Well, there's an old joke I'm sure you've heard that goes like this. How do you know that someone is a vegan? The punchline is, don't worry, they'll tell you. Have you heard that joke? Maybe it's like there's some variations of it for crossfitters or marathon runners. Y'all see some head shakes. Something about health people. I don't know what it is. But I'll tell you it hits close to home because many of you know, because we've told you, that Amy and I were vegan for about two years. Imagine this, but 20 pounds lighter, okay? That's how I was rolling. And there's something about this way of just like, we got to talk about it. Because when we go out to eat or we go to someone's house, um, well, actually, uh, I can't have that. I'm a vegan. There's just something that got to be said. And it doesn't just stop there. I got to tell you why I'm a vegan. And on and on it goes. And for two years, we looked great and had no friends because nobody wanted to eat our black bean burgers and our bell pepper cold salads. But that was the price we paid. There's something about that way that connects with the deeper human condition to want to be seen and recognized and affirmed for the good choices and the good things that we do. There's this way of taking a good thing and distorting it and making it uh, not so great. So in Jesus' day, there was a group of people called the Pharisees, and the word that Jesus uses to talk about people like this group called the Pharisees was the word hypocrite. That's the word, whether you've been at church or not, you've heard the word hypocrite. We talked about two weeks ago how Jesus was the first to use that word hypocrite in a moral sense. That word hypocrite is a word for actor, somebody who wears a mask. And this group of the Pharisees were the kinds of folks that were starting a religious renewal movement. So think the religious right or the moral majority or those evangelicals out there that are going to 
put out to the world all the ways in which they are doing the holy and good and right thing. But there's a way in which the Pharisees did it that we could change the joke I said earlier to maybe something like this in Jesus' day. How do you know if a Pharisee is fasting? Don't worry, just look at them, right? How can you tell that a Pharisee is giving to the needy? Don't worry, they tweeted about it. They hashtag humble bragging it. How do you know a Pharisee is praying? Oh wait, you can't hear them? They're over there in the corner with their eyes kind of one closed and one half open, making sure you're watching them and hearing all the wisdom and wonderful poetic things they're praying, not for God, but for you. In Matthew chapter 6, we see these classic disciplines for righteous or holy people. And they are good, but the how matters. Our motive matters. These disciplines of giving to the needy, of prayer, and of fasting are good things. And they've become classic Lenten disciplines. Not Lent in your belly button, but Lent the season I mentioned earlier that precedes Easter. And Lent is a season in which we give to the poor, we pray, and we fast. Y'all know about Fat Tuesday, right? And Mardi Gras, right? Well, that's this Tuesday, and it's the time when people are going to go buck wild. Why? Because what's Wednesday? Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday begins the season of Lent, which is 40 days of giving, praying, and fasting, so that we can all celebrate even more Easter Sunday. These are classic disciplines, and Jesus teaches about them in Matthew 6. And in this church, we're going to give you an opportunity to practice them, and here's some ways we're inviting you to do so. If you've been around church the last couple weeks, or you've listened into our podcast or seen online, you've heard of a way in which we're inviting you to give. And we're inviting you to give toward a $5,000 goal to launch what we're calling the Neighborhood Table. It's a meal, but it's more than a meal. It's a meal in which we want to share with our neighbors in order that we could turn them into friends and by God's grace turn them into family as we invite them into life with Jesus in our community. And it takes a little bit of money to get this thing launched. $5,000 because we want to buy tables that The Rock needs whether we're there or not. We want to buy chairs for The Rock whether we're there or not. And by the way, we want to buy tablecloths and bread baskets, and we want to make this thing as top-notch as we can so that it feels less like a soup kitchen and more like a family reunion. It's a meal, but it's more than a meal, and we're inviting you to give generously and sacrificially to fast from your wallet in order that we could feast with our neighbors. We're also going to invite you to pray Here at the end of the service, we're going to remind you about our Lenten devotional. And it's 40 days with a little reflection, a little prayer, a little verse of scripture in order to get us into the habit of praying daily. But we also want to pray, not just in our gathered space in worship, but even after worship, we want to make some intentional, unstructured time to intercede so that God's kingdom can come and his will can be done in specific needs and specific ways in our church. We're going to 
invite you to times of prayer, not just daily, but weekly together. And finally, we're going to invite you to fast. And that's what we're going to spend our time doing this evening. So tonight, we're going to look at three things from the verses of Scripture we just read in Matthew chapter 6. The first thing we're going to talk about is, again, that motivation of fasting. We will get it all wrong, like those Pharisees and hypocrites, if we get off on the wrong foot. We've got to check our heart before we go and live with our hands and our feet. The second thing we're going to see is the lessons of fasting. The thing about fasting is it will teach you something about yourself. And I'm sure it will teach you something about God and life with him. We're going to talk about a few lessons that fasting can teach us. And then third, you're going to see a few practical invitations to fast yourself. So the first thing before we get into the motivation, lessons, and invitation in Jesus' teaching, we got to talk about what fasting is. And fasting, as defined by Richard Foster, is the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. Fasting is the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function, like consuming food or consuming some kind of media or some action in your daily routine. It's saying no to this so that we might say yes to a more intense and more intentional time with God. Adam's translation of this is this. It is to disengage so that we can more fully engage with God in this season. That's our focus statement this evening. When we're talking about fasting from a variety of things, what you're saying is I'm going to temporarily take a step back from these normal and good things, but in order that I can transform that time and that energy and that thought process, I can tune in and more fully engage with God. You can write this down. It's not on the screen. But to fast is to feast on God. To fast is to feast on God. Now before we get back into Jesus' teaching, i got to say another quick word, and this is a confession. If y'all have been around this church, and we've been the neighborhood church for two and a half years, But even beyond that, I have talked a lot about giving and serving the poor. I and Pastor Kathy and Pastor Mark before me and on and on down the line, we talked a lot about prayer. We did a whole series this past summer. Pastor Kathy talked about it out of Matthew 6 last week. We talked a lot about prayer. We pray. We do this. Let me make a confession to you. I'm almost positive this is the first sermon on fasting I've ever preached. Several years back, we did a class on celebration of discipline. I mentioned Richard Foster a moment ago. He wrote an amazing book that you need to get. If you haven't gotten it, you need to get it. It's called Celebration of Discipline. We did a class on that several years ago, and I taught on fasting in that small group study. But I don't think I've ever preached on fasting. And Let me give you confession number two. Y'all ready? I think it's because in my own life, I've not made fasting a regular practice. Every Lent, 
I'll give up coffee or I'll give up this or this action, this listening to this in the morning or doing this and trying to do that. But it's a seasonal Lenten kind of thing. I got to confess to you, I don't fast from food regularly. I have and I used to. So tonight I want you to hear my heart. This is a reminder and a study and an invitation for me as I hope it will be for us. I hope that you walk away this evening not trying to reinvent your whole life, but to maybe hear an invitation in which you can rearrange some everyday normal and good functions in order that you might fully engage with God in this season. Because some of you, if you're like me, you're stuck. Some of you have been living in a spiritual definition of insanity. You keep doing the same things over and over, expecting different results. And you keep blaming God because he hasn't downloaded this magic bullet or he hasn't removed this so perfectly or he hasn't just given you this or given you that. Let me tell you how the spiritual life works and I wish it was any way other, but it's not. Here's how it works. We come to God with a cup asking him to fill us, but our lives look more like this. God, fill this, fill it, fill it. God, fill it, help me, fill it. And here's God patiently with all the good things and all the transformation he wants that you can take in this moment ready to pour over and abundantly what you need, but you won't sit down to let him fill you. Maybe you're stuck, and maybe fasting is a practice I'm inviting you into to help pry the fingers off of those things that control you, of desires and diversions that have run amok, and maybe it's a way in which you can rearrange the furniture of your life in order that God can do what only he can do, but you've got to sit down and pay attention with him. Sometimes I think of our life as a living room with furniture, and I want you to hear me before we get back into Matthew 6. I want you to hear me that the couch of prayer is vital and essential. And I want you to understand that serving God and others in this church and in our neighborhood is a vital and essential chair of your life with God. That community in and around the table with brothers and sisters in Christ that are surrounding you with God's word and his positivity and the invitations to life and forgiveness and all those things, that is an essential coffee table in your living room, hello? But sometimes you've been watching HGTV and you get on a tear and you say, this couch should look better over there. And how do you feel when you kind of rearrange some things in your life? Same item, same room. How's your heart? Oh my goodness. It opened it up. What I'm inviting you into is not some kind of new reinvention of the wheel. What I'm inviting you into is how can you give, pray, and fast. Things that we... And Jesus assumes that we're already doing, but how can we with some intention rearrange in order that God can do what he wants to do so that we might be transformed from the inside out? That's the difference from the Pharisees who want people to see all the wonderful things they do on the outside, but the inside is dark and far from God. They bypass God because all they're looking for is the approval of others. Jesus wants us to be transformed from the inside out So that's why in Matthew 6, 
He's trying to turn our intentions and our actions, our heart and our hands, pointed in the same direction, and that is toward God, the only audience that matters. And with that, let's talk again about the motivation of fasting. The headline of Matthew chapter 6, if you've got your Bible or your phone open, I want you to scroll or turn to Matthew 6.1. This is the headline, it's not on the screen, of the whole cycle of teaching that we've been looking at. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness or piety or spirituality or the good things I expect you to do. But be careful not to practice them in front of others so that you will be what? Seen by them, okay? Be careful that you don't go serve the homeless just so you can gram it. Hello? That's what he's talking about. It's very practical. If you do, he says, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. We say, well, dang, Jesus, that's harsh. God loves me and wants to give me all of this stuff. And he says, that is absolutely true. And he says it a number of places, even here in this same sermon. But here's the trick. You don't get one thing from God because you didn't give one thought to God. And you did all these nice God things, but you showed up to church and you did this and you did that and you served here out of some obligation or out of some affirmation. You wanted to be seen, you wanted to be heard, you wanted to do the right thing, you wanted to get your parents off your back. And he says, if you're not looking one eye to God, God is perfectly content to say, that's cool, I'm good, I'm here when you want me. But if all you want is recognition and affirmation, then you got what you want, so I'm good and you're good. That's how this deal worked. You bypassed me, so what's the difference? He says they've already got their reward in full. And that's what he said again in the passage we just read. Don't go and fast and pray and give because I told you to and somebody around here is looking. Instead, the refrain almost verbatim in Matthew 6, 4 when he's talking about giving. In Matthew 6, 6 when he's talking about praying. And in Matthew 6, 18, what we just read on fasting, the chorus Jesus keeps singing is this. Your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Let me tell you this again. Jesus wants to transform you from the inside out into the kinds of people who aren't looking and starving for the attention and affirmation of others, but people who are zealous for the attention of the Father who loves them, instead of never good enough or never enough, no, 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 don't go look over there. Look to the Father who is beaming and staring at you with eyes of affection and tender care. Do it for him and him alone, and then you'll see that reward with him is enough. Relationship with him is reward enough. Jesus wants to transform us from the inside out. So we got to keep asking, who's our audience here? Is our motivation affirmation or transformation? That's why we offered you that discipline of secrecy two weeks ago. Jesus says the father that sees in secret wants to reward you. Here's a very practical hands-on tip when you give, pray, and fast, or do anything. The discipline of secrecy from Richard Foster, who I've mentioned now a couple times, and it's not the last time (laughs) tonight, 
His nonprofit is called Renovare, and the discipline of secrecy, they say, is this. Consciously refraining from having our good deeds and qualities generally or publicly known, which in turn rightly disciplines our longing for recognition. Let me tell you that if our longing for recognition is a river, our longing for food is a river, our longing for entertainment or material resources is a river, and these are all good and natural human things. You see my river that I've been sending down towards you? The problem is, whether it's for affirmation or food or any of these longings, that if we leave them unchecked, what happens is what we see in Houston or what we're seeing now in Southeast America, we see the river rising and flooding the banks and our lives become a mess and we look up and wonder what happened and probably it's because we haven't rearranged our lives or disengaged in order to engage with God for him to say, yo, you are flooding way over the banks here. So whether it's secrecy or fasting, the idea here is that these are good things that is a river that leads to life and blessing, but left unchecked, rivers that are once beautiful can become destructive. Our longing for connection in sexuality is a healthy, beautiful, God-given gift. And when released over the bounds of the river, destruction can be left in the wake. And whether it's pornography, or whether it's sleeping around, or whether it's not saving what God designed in the faithful covenant boundary of a relationship of marriage, we begin to play with this and that, and we leave parts of our heart and ourself all over the place, and we become flooded over, and we realize that what was good has no longer become God's best. Fasting helps us, but the motivation must be transformation, not affirmation. Giving, praying, and fasting are these essential spiritual disciplines. And did y'all notice that the first word of our passage was another chorus that Jesus has been singing when talking about giving, praying, and fasting? Y'all want to guess what that word was? When you fast. Let me tell y'all this. This may blow your mind. It blow mine a little bit. You will not find a command in the New Testament for a Christian to fast. So don't go looking in 6th John for thou shalt fast in Lent. You ain't going to find it. Rather, what we see in Jesus' teaching and in the example of the disciples after Jesus ascends, which when Jesus talks about fasting again, y'all write down Matthew 9, These people got bent out of shape and said, yo, Jesus, see, the thing is, my disciples fast and yours don't. They must not be really spiritual. And Jesus says, how are we supposed to not party when the bride and bridegroom are here? Who goes to a wedding and don't eat the cake? But when I go, then they will fast. What we have is an assumption from Jesus and an example from the disciples that when Jesus, whoop, goes back into God's space and we don't see him, they fast. We see that in Acts chapter 13. You can write that down there too. What we have is an assumption that fasting, giving, and praying 
Even though there's no command for fasting, this is an expectation and practice in our life with God. It's a spiritual discipline. A spiritual discipline is this, and this is really important for Jesus' teaching here and our motivation to fast. A spiritual discipline, again, as defined by Renovare, is a practice that places us before God so that he can transform us. In other words, a TNC mantra is this, doing what we can, and that is to fast, to pray, to sit, to shut up, to be still, to go on retreat, to serve God, to worship, to celebrate, fill in the blank. We do what we can in order to let God do what we can't on our own, right? I can't heal anyone, but I can pray and lay hands and be present, and God can heal and do what we can't when we show up. You with me? That's how our spiritual life works. We see people that have been Christians for 40, 50 years, and it would be the equivalent of a 40, 50-year-old if everything cognitively and physically is still okay. We expect healthy individuals to not be wearing diapers when they're 50 years old. We expect healthy individuals to be able to cognitively move through the world on their own. But yet in our Christian life, we look around and we see 40, 50-year-old people that have followed Jesus for decades that are racist, that are stingy, that are greedy, that are addicted in all kinds of mess. And we wonder, why, God, are you actually real? Because Holy Spirit, if you're real and there's this fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and power to say no to temptation, why on the world are these people not? And I don't know their hearts, but I bet you if I looked at their lives and their schedules, they're not serving and loving the people Jesus loved. They're not spending time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus. And this is the eyeball test of why some of us are at different cognitively spiritual levels. That's just the way it is. Now, let me pause there, because some of you are maybe feeling a little uh, icky. I want you to know that your journey with Jesus will never look like this. You ready? Okay. How many... Friendships and relationships and family relationships have gone like this. Nope. Our journey with Jesus is learning to be with him, to learn from him, how to live like him, forgive like him, pray like him, and that's how we practice these disciplines. We do what we can and let God do what we can't on our own. Now, It's less about what we do, and it's more about rearranging our lives. But here's the problem. Sometimes we can do because we'd rather appear spiritual than be spiritual. So when Jesus is talking about the actors, the hypocrites, right, the toe up from the flow up, he says these Pharisees love to practice their righteousness before others. What do actors need? Three things. What do actors need? They need... An audience, check. They need, yeah, a stage, that's good. Maybe that's four things. They need good material. These are, they have good material. 
giving, fasting, praying. They've got an audience, people looking at them. They've got a stage. Hold on to that. I'm going to talk about it in a minute. Have you all ever seen some of these actresses, God bless them up close? Just let age gracefully, but you watch the Oscars last week, and you're like, sweetie, you're beautiful. You don't got to look like this. Amy read that some people were paying $6,000 at the hotel of the Oscars before the Oscars for a facial. Actors need makeup. Y'all want to know that the Pharisees would let their beards grow and their hair grow? These dudes would legit take ashes and smear it on their face. A couple weeks ago, I had a migraine at neighborhood group, and Amy was laughing at me, and she's been laughing at me for two weeks because it took me 45 minutes to pick Mark's suite up, which usually takes me eight minutes. Uh, there was some craziness, and so I'm in the car for a long time, so this was me over in the corner of neighborhood group. Jaron remembers. I had my sunglasses on, and I was like, everybody was over there where that piano is, and this is me over here. Why? Because people go, man, what's going on? I got this migraine. I feel so bad. The Pharisees would rub ash on their face, let their hair get all nappy. Why? So people would say, what's going on? Well, actually, I'm fasting. I'm fasting. I've been fasting. I've been a vegan for two years. Let me tell you why. Do you know the processed junk that you put into your bodies? Let me tell you. I'm healthy and you're not. You know when they would fast? Some scholars realize that they would fast Wednesday. I, well, I'm going to get this wrong. Uh, I, I, want, I forget the two dates. But they would fast twice a week. One of them would be Fridays. These are market days. Because if they need a stage, they want to make sure that people show up. These dudes would look a mess, and they would go to where the most people are, and they would want them to ask what's going on so that they could tell them they're fasting. Here's what I think we need as God's people to think through when we go through Lent and someone asks you, what did you give up for Lent? It's not wrong, and I don't think God's going to smite you if you answer their question. The matter is a matter of the heart, and we determine our motive, our heart, by discerning our desired outcome. Do you understand what I mean by that? If your outcome in the fast is to drop 20 pounds. Be careful. If your outcome in the fast is to feel better or to get God to do something and twist his arm, be careful. If your desired outcome is this or that and it's not growing and being transformed in your life with God, be careful. Richard Foster says this in his book, Celebration of Discipline. If you haven't bought it in Amazon right now while I'm speaking, what are you doing? Okay, thank you, Michelle. Gold star. You can practice it in front of everybody all the time. Your righteousness is exceeding that of the Pharisees. Amen and amen. Richard Foster says, fasting must forever center on God. It must be God-initiated and God-ordained. Let me pause there and say this. I had a real temptation this week to say, crap, I'm talking about fasting. i got to fast. i got to fast this week so that I can figure it out within 48 hours to go preach to these lovely people. That is not a God-initiated and God-ordained fast. So I ate leftover pizza. Richard Foster continues. Physical benefits, <laughs> oh, when keeping it real goes wrong. 
Physical benefits, success in prayer, the enduing with power, spiritual insights, these may happen, listen, these will happen, listen, but these must never replace God as the center of our fasting. In scripture, it is most always a private me and God thing. You see, in cases of emergency, when there needs to be some focus, when there needs to be, like in Esther, some dire, we've got to get our stuff together, there needs to be sometimes a corporate call to fasting. But ultimately, we need to think, is this God-initiated and is this God-directed toward him? And this is why fasting can be such an interesting teacher, which is the second bit I want to talk about, and then we'll close briefly with some practices and some how-tos. Fasting teaches us this, firstly, we don't need everything we want. And here's the problem, we confuse those two all the time, amen? I was talking with somebody yesterday, and I was just asking him the question, you know, Here's my impression of my daughters every day after school. Ready? Can I have a snack? He said, yeah, sure. Here, have a snack. Go for it. Ten minutes later. Can I have a snack? Oh, did you not finish that? No, I did. I need a snack. I said, what are you thinking? And she goes, here's the biggest lollipop I've ever seen in my life. I was thinking I could have this. I said, no, no. Storm away. Ten minutes later. Can I have a snack? No, babe, what are you thinking? I have a six-foot Toblerone that somebody gave you. You want, can I have this? Here's the, here's the obvious truth, guys, and we've got to remind ourselves of this because the problem when we pray and we ask, 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 ask is that God told us that he would provide everything we need, but God never promised that we would get everything we want. What kind of people and children would we be if you got everything you prayed for? What kind of children would my children be if they got and ate everything they wanted? It's self-evident. Fasting restores balance. That river of good things, the normal, natural, everyday things, it restores balance when we flooded over the banks. And then it teaches us the second thing, which is on the screen. God sustains us more than food. When we disengage to more fully engage with God, we learn what Jesus learned in a very extreme 40-day absolute fast that you read in Luke chapter 4. We see that he quotes scripture with temptation and the tempter in front of him, he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. This is the lesson of Israel in the wilderness and Jesus in the wilderness. God is more than food and breath. Fasting is feasting on God. Remember that definition of fasting I read just a moment ago, that fasting is the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for what? For the sake of intense spiritual activity. Fasting wakes us up, and it not just brings balance, balance excuse me, it brings focus. It restores focus in our life. So, to sum up what fasting teaches us, 
I think it restores balance to our life and it restores focus to our life. And it helps us practice the life that Jesus talks about very next in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? Do y'all know it? And all of these things. What's the these things? Food, clothes, the necessities that God delights in giving you and taught us to ask for. All of those things will be added if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not the righteousness of others. I want to close with the practice of fasting, the invitation to fasting. What are some ways in which you might feel led to fast this season? Again, fasting is about disengaging so that we can more fully engage with God. Here's the trick. When the hunger pains hit... That is your body's natural alarm clock because you're used to eating at noon and breakfast and if you're like me with small children, 5.30 for dinner. That's your body's natural alarm clock. Let me tell you this. Here's why fasting from food is so essential and it's a part of Judaism and Islam and even Christianity, because Jesus assumes that we will do this. You take that natural body's alarm clock, and you redeem it, you transform it to a spiritual alarm clock to say, wow, this is reminding me how much I'm dependent, and Lord, help me to depend on you. And Lord, help me to continue, even in the face of temptation, to say no to this so that I can offer you a more fuller and heartier yes, right here, right now, in this moment. Some of you might be invited to um, withdraw and fast from coffee this Lent. And you're going to realize how dependent you were on coffee. Some of you might give up sweets alcohol. Some of you might look at Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1 verse 12, we did a series on Daniel. Y'all remember his food program? It was vegetables and water. Now you can Google Daniel fast and they've, like every other diet, they've got a whole run of it and a bunch of Christians are doing it and it's basically all natural, non-processed. You can do all kinds of fasts but the intent, again, the motivation is not for health, it's for engaging with God. So maybe... You can fast from an item like I just talked about. Or maybe you fast for a day. What would it look like for you to fast from 9 to 5 or 6 to 6 or lunch to lunch the next day? That might take some warming up and getting used to it. You might need to start by cutting out some of the snacks. Let me tell you this. When you fast, use and drink water. You've got to build yourself up. You've got to walk before you can run and no one here, I don't think, is called right now to an absolute fast of a day or two or three. Unless we talk to a doctor and you really sense that God is really bringing you to a time of emergency and crisis. But think of the ways in which we can fast. And by the way, Jesus says, when you do this, don't look toe up from the flow up. Wash your face and go about your day because it doesn't matter what they think. It matters that God sees you and he's with you and he's longing to be gracious to you and he's already looking. Now, you might fast from consuming media. How much of our day is spent here? Y'all, I updated my iPhone and it's got that screen time report. And I gotta tell you, even though I took Twitter off, 
I'm looking at that thing and just feeling, oh, Lord Jesus. Some of you, that is the diversion of Netflix and vegging and wiping out. There's a way in which we're called to healthy disengagement. And sometimes, i got to tell you, I've been jamming on the world's most extraordinary homes on Netflix. I love it. And it's a healthy disengagement until I get to episode four, like I did last Saturday morning, because I didn't preach last Saturday. Another confession. Y'all, this is real talk. Are we recording this? Some of us might need to fast from social media or entertainment. Some of us might need to put that wallet back and maybe consider the ways in which God is inviting us to not spend or to not do this or to even not think or say that. For time's sake, I won't tell you the story I had planned, but I read a story of a woman who felt called to fast from her critical attitude just for one day. And the transformation that she felt in her heart, even as she prayed, like Pastor Kathy talked about last week, sometimes our prayers are critical. Lord, fix them, make this, do that. I need you to... Sometimes we might need to fast from critical attitudes, from whining, from gossiping. And I need you to know this as we close. Two things, another foster quote. Why haven't you bought that book yet? He says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. So let me leave you with this. I pray that you will hear an invitation to disengage in order that you can more fully engage with God in this season of Lent that begins this Wednesday. But I pray that you would be transformed from the inside out. I pray that you would get unstuck. I pray that you would rearrange your life so that God can do in you and through you and around you the things that he's been longing to do if we would just sit and wait and lean in. And then my final prayer is this, that you and I might realize that there are things that God does not just want to keep us from, but there are things that God wants to break us from. The Spirit of the Lord is in you. He has empowered you, and the cross of Christ Jesus has not only freed you from the penalty of sin and death and evil, he has freed you from the power of sin and death and evil. You have come up out of the waters. You are come up out of this world and seated with Christ on high. He is in you, abiding in you, moving you, forming you, shaping you. You are not what you do or what you think you need. You are his, period, end of story. He is your Lord, not that. But you will never fully live it unless you can allow yourself to believe it. We live too much in Romans 7 that says, here I am, Lord, 
20 years on and I'm still struggling with the same thing and I struggle because the thing I want to do, I can't do. And you don't get to Romans 8, first verse. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's a treatise on how nothing can separate you from that love, but more than that, how the Spirit of God is in you, forming you, moving you, propelling you. Would you say yes to him and find freedom from the chains of the things that seek to control you when he he can control you and work in you if we say no to those things so that we can say yes to him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you because we recognize that there are things that only you can do. And Lord, I gotta confess there are some things that you won't do. You simply won't give us everything that we think we need. You simply won't give us everything that we want. And you simply, I believe, will not steamroll anybody and twist their arm into the kingdom. But Lord, we're inviting you to just deal with us right now. Not that person or that thing. Start with us, please. May we surrender our hearts, our minds, our attitudes, our actions, our yeses and our noes to you. And that we would find life on the other side. That when we deny ourselves and take up our cross, it's death and it's hard and it's tempting. But there's life when we follow you who say, come to me. All you who are weary and burned out from moving your furniture around and seeing the same old thing. Will we come to you more so than we have yesterday or today? The only life we have to come to you is right now in this moment. We pray that we come. We pray that we would surrender ourselves to you. Surrender what we think is best, what we think is cool, what we think is right. We pray we would come to you. There's life in you. Give us strength. Day by day, step by step, in each moment, will we find your grace. Not that we can earn what's already been given, but so we can find you faithful to the end. For there is not one moment or one day that you've not been by our sides willing and wanting us to turn to you. Will we turn to you now? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May the love of the Father, the tenderness of the Son, and the presence of the Spirit gladden your heart and bring peace to your soul this day and all days. Amen. Go in peace.